0: James Fox, and we're going to talk, of course, about that great documentary that he got made there, The Phenomenon. But first, I wanted to welcome another, yet another new station, KTOX, and they are in Northwest Arizona, covering Needles, Mojave Valley, Bullhead City, and Kingman. It's about 160 miles from where I am. But if I'm in that direction, I'll certainly want to come up there and talk to the people. So we welcome the new listeners to the Paracast KTOX. Our friends over at GCN are working doubly hard. they stations. So we'll have the news as we get them. The last time I communicate with James Fox was a few weeks ago, of course, setting up a date to have him come on the show to talk about the film. And you had to leave your home because of the danger of the fires in Northern California, right?
1: Yes. Thank you, by the way, for having me on. There was a fire that broke out just a few miles away. And for several weeks, because resources were spread so thin uh, in that part of California, uh, it was just uh, you know, there was hardly anybody on it. So if the winds blew, we were under evacuation warning. If the winds blew to the south, our town was going to be evacuated. And if they blew to the north, uh, the town that we do most of our shopping was going to be evacuated. But it was raining ash and smoke for weeks. I was on the phone with Paul David, who did the infamous Roswell uh, piece. I think it was for you, was it Showtime? Back in the 90s? and he offered his uh, his home in New Mexico. So uh, we packed up and went to New Mexico, and here we are.
0: Well, how do you like New Mexico? I have never, ever been to New Mexico.
1: Oh my gosh, I, I love New Mexico. I mean, it's dry, not as much moisture uh, this time of year as there normally should be, but I love New Mexico. I mean, some of my favorite cases uh, happen here, right here in New Mexico, and I've gone to coral on a number of occasions investigated that case and um the plains of san augustine and dadle and that whole region are just stunningly beautiful and uh, obviously then you've got roswell and yeah I mean, mexico is one of my favorite states
2: was this fire that when it got started as a result of that uh what was it like a gender reveal rainbow party or something like that down there no, the one that got, <laughs> Cause like, I mean, there's <laughs> been a bunch of fires started. I remember it was all over the news. It was one of them. So yours was different though. Yeah. It was so funny too, because a couple of days prior
1: it rained, there was a thunder and lightning and, and it rained and I thought, oh, thank God it's raining this early in the year. We're going to, you know, we're going to avoid this horrendous fire season. And little did I realize, a it didn't rain enough. It just like occasional showers. But the uh, lightning caused a, a number of fires to break out, uh-huh. including the one right, right where I where I live. I
0: live in Arizona. Of course, we get our own share of fires.
1: But you guys don't have the tall
2: trees like we do.
0: You know, somebody says just forest management. That's all. We don't want to go into that because then we get if into politics.
2: Somebody said that. Yeah, we yeah.
0: we can't yeah, mention that name because then people will accuse the Powercast of getting involved in politics. And we shan't do that. We're going to talk instead <laughs> about the movie business. Now, the thing that kind of saddens me about all this, and I know originally you hoped with the phenomenon, James, to be able to exhibit it in motion picture theaters, but right now there are dangers here that many of them are going to go out of business. And I just feel bad for all the people... In the motion picture industry, who are looking for jobs, not getting work. And just as an example, one of the major special effects houses, you'd know their name, I'm not going to mention them, was sending me emails soliciting work. Do we want to do something? And I look at their resume oh my God, they got TV shows and they've got movies and they're just extraordinary special effects artists. They do creatures and superheroes and they're looking for work. My God. The world is just not the same, is it?
1: Certainly isn't. You know, the ink had barely dried on the contracts for a 1,000 to 1,500 theaters, uh, which has been a lifelong dream of mine when COVID hit. And we were holding out for months, thinking, okay, come on, pray for a miracle. But unfortunately, that miracle didn't happen, and uh, we had to sort of play the game on the board, not the one in our head. And, uh, you know, and so we released the film um, uh, transactional downloads.
0: And that's probably how most films are being distributed nowadays, at least in the U S and all the big films have been postponed. The next James Bond film, no time to die. That's the one I think the last one that the current actor is doing. And that one is postponed to next year. Wonder woman, 1984, all the fun films are being delayed.
1: Well, you know, on, on the one hand we, I have to be really grateful that we finished the film because I mean I traveled all over the world to make this one. I mean I was in China twice, Australia and Africa and South America and all over, all across the states. Uh, you know, and then COVID hit. I mean, we literally finished the film. I think probably January. You know, and, and interestingly enough, and I highly recommend any of your audience uh, rents the film or buys the film online. It, if you have good speakers, please use them because because we are going to be in theaters. We did a Dolby 5.1 surround mix, which is a rather expensive process, and it required a sound engineer about six to eight weeks' work. But let me tell you, it was like seeing my movie for the first time. I mean, the, having the sound swirling around the room and and all the filters and just amazing what an experience it is to hear. Uh, you know, when the sound is done right. So I encourage anyone who's going to watch the film, hopefully they'll do it using good speakers.
0: Well, I ran the film through my 4K Vizio, and we have a sound bar. It's not 5.1 or any of that stuff. It's 2.1. But it's got decent bass, and yes, the sound was really good. And you don't always get that with a documentary.
1: No, I, I did it look i i had so funny i've been i try not to read too many of the uh online you know reviews and stuff because you know but i did read one the other day i think it was cnn had done one and they said oh really powerful film you know great this, great that but the graphics on some of the occasions were a bit cheesy and i (laughs) i made a a decision i literally uh at the end of production you know we're i couldn't knock on the door of our funders anymore and you know, because done that one, too, five too many times. And it came down to having enough money to either do the sound or replace some of the graphics. And I chose the audio because it was going to be in theaters. So I took out a bank loan to pay for that, uh, for that sound engineer. But it was well worth doing. I mean, literally, when I came down for the first screening after he'd worked on the film for at least six weeks, uh, I felt like I was watching my movie for the first time.
0: You know, it's interesting here that special effects house now, if someone spotted you a couple of million, would have been happy to do the work for you.
1: <laughs> I know, right?
0: Well, you, no, know, you can't do that, with the, especially with a documentary. You don't expect to see the, what they do when they make the Avengers for $300 million, which is insane.
1: I, I still know. think that's insane. I know. But you know what? Maybe it would sell. Maybe it doesn't – I mean, look, we we upped the – I mean, we did the production values. I mean, I hired a National Geographic photographer. Because of what happened with the the last UFO doc I did, uh, I know what I saw, it went to um, Lionsgate, and it went up the chain of command at Lionsgate, and then it got to acquisitions. And the tech department said, "Mm, we're going to have to take a pass on this film because of the production – quality which was decent i mean it's, i thought it was pretty good uh was subpar and uh we're gonna have to go ahead and take a pass and it wasn't just the financial gain of a sale to lions game but it was the global distribution footprint that they, that they had with that company
0: let's do a break here james fox director of the phenomenon now available for digital download with and Randall. you're in
3: the Paracast. <laughs> Hello, Paracast people! I'm Greg Carlwood, the host of the Higher Side Chats podcast, an uninterrupted and action-packed interview-based show where I talk to some of the brightest minds for our troubled times about all things paranormal, occult, esoteric, and conspiratorial. After ten years, we've heard it all. Alien moon bases, archons, hollow earth, technocratic and biomedical agendas, magic, mind control, and Lovecraftian monsters. Oh my... Usually, the first hour of the show is free, and the second hour is for members who sign up for the Higher Side Chats Plus at $8 a month, but praise be, we're giving Paracast listeners two free weeks of plus when you use the all-caps coupon code PARACAST. Go to the thehiresidechats.com, sign up with the code PARACAST, and dive into the nearly never-ending archive of great interviews I've been lucky enough to get over the years, from David Politis to David Icke, and many, many guests not named David. Check it out, you're going to love it. All right, was that good? Can we use
4: that one? Attention, business owners body slammed by overwhelming debt. If your business is in trouble, hassled by creditors, if you're frustrated, finally fed up with big business bailouts while your business has been left for dead, please listen close. There's a brand new fast track bankruptcy. Some have even called it the biggest small business bailout in American history designed for individuals and their businesses. And look, almost no one knows about this yet. My attorney wasn't even aware of it. The truth is, beating the system has never been easy because it's rigged, in a sense, against the little guy. But here's the jaw-dropping news nobody's talking about. They've literally just changed the system so that you can beat it, but only if you understand how the new game has to be played. Find out if you qualify at PocketsOfLight.com. This government-backed small business repair program is still legal, but may not be renewed after the election. Fight back fairly. Fight back ethically at PocketsOfLight.com.
6: If you or a loved one is a survivor of abuse by Boy Scouts of America representatives as far back as the 1970s, we urge you to speak up. We'll stand with you and get you the help and financial compensation you deserve. A jury in Portland, for example, awarded $18.5 million in punitive damages in one Boy Scout sexual abuse case. The Boy Scouts of America filed for bankruptcy, and funds have been set aside to compensate those injured. Time is limited, and so are the funds. Call today. Don't wait. For free information on how to file your claim, call all Survivors Advocates right now. We have a long track record in helping our clients get the legal justice and compensation they deserve. Please, we are ready to help you. Call today.
7: 800-364-2984. 800-364-2984. 800-364-2984. That's 800
8: We've all seen and perhaps used the alcohol-based hand sanitizers. Have you noticed how it dries your skin, and as soon as the alcohol evaporates, it's no longer effective? GCNteam.com has alcohol-free antibacterial soap and foam meeting or exceeding all requirements set forth by the United States Food and Drug Administration. Come to GCNteam.com keyword antibacterial or call 877-878-4203
9: we'd like to hear from you if you have a comment or question about the paracast send it to news at theparacast.com that's news at theparacast.com and don't forget to visit our famous paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com
0: Now, I should tell you, we do have a few coupon codes for the phenomenon that we're making available for those of you who order up long-term subscriptions to the PowerCast Plus. We also get the After the PowerCast podcast and a version of this show free of network ads. Check out the PowerCast.plus, the PowerCast.plus for more. Now, I have to tell you this, that I guess for the future, most films are going to be available this way for digital distribution is this worldwide yet or just in the u.s
1: it's worldwide i think they translated it into 12 languages and then that will increase as we as we do other streaming deals which we're considering now we're in talks with some streamers we're not in any hurry right now this is going to be more of a marathon run as opposed to a quick flash in the pan do you know what i mean
0: Now, will you eventually, after you have the digital downloads, then maybe seek out a Netflix or an Apple TV Plus or someone?
1: There's Hulu, there's uh, Amazon Prime, there's Showtime, there's HBO, there's CBS, All Access, there's, you know, Netflix. There's a number of different platforms. I mean, honestly, what we're trying to do, because there's a bit of a shortage of fresh content because of COVID, utilize all the platforms and do non-exclusive. That way we can reach a broader audience.
0: Well, that's that terrific. Yeah, I like Amazon Prime personally because I find good shows there. Ever hear of Acorn TV, James? Mm-hmm. Okay, Acorn mostly British, Canadian, and Australian shows. It's like five ninety nine a month through Amazon, and I'm trying to live on the cheap here, as people know. Great shows there, but I grew up going to the movie theaters way before you were born, James. I mean, you weren't even a glimmer in your dad's eye when I was going to Times Square with my father, and we'd watch these old horror films at a movie theater on Times Square. You know, you had the porn, but you also had the old movies. And God, you can't do this anymore. I just really feel bad. I'm hoping that maybe a couple of years down the pike, you could have a limited. Motion picture
1: run in the theaters. Yeah, I know. We are too. Believe it, we're holding out.
2: We'd love to. They've been doing that here with a number of uh, films that didn't make it already. Uh, I'm seeing them at our theaters where people are now returning to the theaters. And according to these rules that they've got, don't give up on the idea because I will go see it in a theater as well. I've seen it here. And my opinion here is that the phenomenon is a must-have addition for every UFO library. Anyone who's interested in this film and in UFOs, they've got to get it. That's all there is to it. And I'd really like to see, and I don't know how possible this will be, a DVD with some of your um, extra material, because I know you've got just loads of extra material. This movie, for me, was almost like a teaser. Like, I want more.
1: Mm. Did you uh, get the film on a secure link from the distributor, or did you download it from uh, iTunes or Vimeo?
0: I sent him one of the uh, links to
1: that. Okay. Okay, cause, because if you purchase this film, I think it's like twelve ninety nine or something like that, it actually comes with three hours of bonus material. Interview with Story Musgrave, some stuff with uh Heineck, the raw presentation I did with uh, Leslie Kane at the United, sorry, at the um National Press Club in two thousand seven, and a bunch of really cool outtakes and stuff of that nature. So I literally packed it of three additional hours. And so you get five hours total. So I would highly encourage anyone. But I think they're only available on two platforms because the others didn't offer bonus material. And it's iTunes and Vimeo. So if anyone does want to buy it, that's where you should get it. Could you get for the same price, you get all this, a couple of hours of bonus material. But yeah, and there's a lot more too, believe me.
0: Now, as far as Vimeo, that's the coupon codes that we got from your PR people so they are the ones that will give you that extra content we're looking forward to that is there any thought here too if you to actually get the money of upscaling to 4k
1: you know i'm just kind of basting in having finished the film at this point <laughs> we actually we actually edited up till because we you know we could we updated the film as recently as like a month ago or maybe 6 weeks ago in the studio and then resubmitted all the, the 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 finals just to kind of keep it current and there's no question and that's one thing i've learned from in the past it's been my fourth and a half film on it on the topic is never say never uh, but sometimes it's a little too early <laughs> to talk about taking on another workload because getting this film done and, and complete and out the door was a monumental effort that uh, i think i'm probably suffering from ptsd
0: You were telling us the last time we had you on the spring, and we have time now on the show, to go into it. You went through not a pleasant or relaxing editing process. Maybe in the next couple of seconds we can talk about this. Because I think people may not understand, and this is with any movie, the amount of work that has to be done to get you that hour and a half to two hours, you're an hour and 41 minutes, to get you that. And maybe you can tell us about the editing, how it went.
1: I have a very tedious process, but it's a it's a method that I, I adhere to because it works. Um, but it takes a lot a long time. And what I do is I go through all the material that I have. You have to, and then I organize it in a timeline, and then I color code uh, all of it. Um, and I think I spent probably a year and a half doing that that first part and then I then I then I organize it somewhat chronologically, you know, case related. And then you have sit down interviews that you do and it's it's a it's a real lengthy process and and like I said, I color code everything so and then I look for what's called GMs, which are golden moments, things that I just feel that can't be excluded from the from the film. A lot of people think I'm crazy for doing it this way. It probably does take longer, but I let the sort of film write itself. I'll focus on a number of cases, for instance, um, like i have, you know, i got the RUA case, big featured cases, ATIP, Socorro, and then I'll kind of work on those first, and, and then I'll figure out the narrative of stitching those together. And it's just a long process, and you can't really cheat the system, because if you do, it, 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 it compromises the quality the, um, the quality.
2: I don't know about for for you, James, but some of the most golden moments in that film for me were the Ruah interviews and the shots that you had, some of the archival footage with John Mack, and then you interviewed them when they were grown up. That was just so amazing. That was really, really definitely golden moments there for me in that film.
1: We would spend months editing that down because we, you know, we had hours and hours of them as adults and hours and hours and hours of them as children. Right. And then I went to Africa and I met with the now headmistress, then at the time was t- a school teacher, Judy Bates. And I met with additional witnesses at the landing site in the school yard. We had roughly eight to 10 minutes to tell the whole story. <laughs> I was working with a number of editors with me on this. You know, it's like started off as like a twelve-hour, you know, fifteen hours, then down to twelve, and then ten, and then nine. Oh man, this is impossible.
0: More to come with James, Gina, Randall. You're in
2: the ParaCast.
10: You are listening to GCN. Visit GCNLive.com today.
12: U.S.A. Radio News with Dan Naraki. President Trump and former Vice President Joe Biden spent Saturday on the campaign trail in several battleground states. President Trump held rallies in North Carolina, Ohio, and Wisconsin after traveling to Florida to cast his ballot. Following his rally in Circleville, the president predicted a red wave in November. We're going to have a great red wave. It's going to be a red wave like you've never seen before because people are tired of... Look at the anarchists and all of the things taking place in Portland, Chicago, New York with crime. They're tired of it. But you're going to have a red wave, the likes of which you haven't seen, and everybody knows it. Vice President Biden held two events in Pennsylvania, where a recent poll has him leading Trump by seven points. His running mate, Senator Kamala Harris, was also in the Buckeye State, holding an event in Cleveland, while former President Barack Obama was on the stump for Biden in Miami. This is USA Radio News. Most of the San Francisco Bay Area could be in the dark come Sunday. USA Radio Network's Kenneth Burns explains
6: why. Pacific gas and electric may cut power to more than a million people Sunday to prevent the chance of sparking wildfires as extreme fire weather returns to the region. The nation's largest utility announced the move yesterday. They said it could blackout customers in 38 counties, including most of the San Francisco Bay Area. The forecast are calling for a return of bone-dry, gusty weather that carries the threat of downing power lines or other equipment that have been blamed for igniting massive and deadly blazes in recent years, particularly in Central and Northern California. Meanwhile, wildfires in Colorado have turned deadly as two people are
12: confirmed dead in the East Troublesome Fire burning in Northern Colorado. That blaze has burned more than 188,000 acres, becoming the second biggest fire in state's history. The largest, the Cameron Peak Fire, has torched nearly 207,000 acres and is burning just miles away. This is USA Radio News.
7: At 58 years of age, I noticed a dramatic energy decline. After a five-day work week, I had to use one of my days off to rest and recover. I also had cut my gym visits down from three times a week to once a week. Since I began using Green Metal Way, my energy level has greatly improved. I no longer have to take a day to recover. I have increased my gym visits back to three times a week. I'm actually more active and feeling better now than I have in the last five years. It's so nice to wake up in the morning feeling good and ready to go. Before trying Green Meadow Whey, I must have tried every whey protein product on the market, and every one of them caused me bloating, gas, and constipation. I've had no such issues with Green Meadow Way. In fact, I'm sleeping better, my vision has improved, and surprisingly, my emotional and mental state has also improved. I love what Green Meadow Way has done for me.
13: Green Meadow Way comes from milk derived from grass pasture cows. To order, call 888-988-3325 or visit greenmeadowway.com.
14: This is Jerome Clark,
1: author of the UFO Encyclopedia and other books. You're listening
0: to the Paracast.: You know what impressed me so much, James Fox, about Washington is not just the case, but how amazingly well-behaved the kids appear in the footage and maybe they were kind of wacky in the stuff that went on the cutting room floor. But I think of children of the schools I went to, which is many years before that centuries before that they were never near as smart or as well-behaved.
1: There were aspects of that case that, that, that I find so compelling that didn't end up in the film. Um, there were so much content that didn't end up in the film. Let me give you one example. But and I, every time I talk about it, I, I'm just shocked that, and I don't know how it happened. I don't know how we left this part out. But the when we brought the children together as adults, young adults, 20 years after the incident, and it was the first time that they'd been together after the encounter um, from all different corners of the world. And I remember with the help of Randall uh, Nickerson, um, And uh, I remember trying to talk this then-investor guy into, you know, covering the cost. And he was like, well, you mean to tell me uh, a UFO landed at a school playground in Africa and the occupants got out? Like, you know, come on, man. I said, no, no, just please. Just look at the testimony of the children. Like, I'm telling you, this is worth it. Like, please. You know, it was a a tough sell. But when we brought them together, I, I just wanted them to explain to me. I wanted them to put me in that scene, I wanted them. I wanted to really experience it through their eyes. And they said, um, "I'll never forget this." He said, "If you've ever been out in in the wild and had a very rare encounter with with an animal out in the wild, and there's this moment where time almost stops, and there's mystery and intrigue and curiosity, and it's a benign encounter, but it's you're trying to figure out what." this animal's all about and the animal's trying to figure out what you're all about and there's just, just this sort of standoff. And the children had explained that's what it was like with these creatures, these beings. And one of them even said, Yeah, it was standing there frozen and there were there, there were sixty-six children that went on camera, but I when I went to Africa I found out there's actually a hundred school children in the yard. But there were a wall of children just frozen looking at this this creature some of them say many creatures a couple of creatures and the creature was just sort of standing there scanning its eyes back and forth looking at all the children in in amazement and bewilderment and just you know and i just thought wow that's a very beautiful description of of that encounter and and then there was another thing that they said to me that didn't end up in the film which i thought again was was fascinating there were logs that would define the outer perimeter of the playground like telephone poles, and they weren't allowed the children to go beyond there because there it wasn't managed. The, the lawn, the grasses weren't cut. There were snakes and things of that sort. That they had, they just weren't allowed to go out beyond that. Children, being children, would go all the way to the outer edge of the playground, and they would skip along these logs. And they said that the beans were mimicking the behavior of the children and dancing along.
2: Childly next to them. Is that ever interesting? Isn't that crazy? Is, yeah. Yep. And you did an excellent job of putting those clips together at, at the end because they, the children don't have to say a lot, but you can see from the look in their faces that they're there in their own mind. They're going back and they're seeing it and they're they're reliving it while they're telling it. It is so compelling, in in my view, regardless of the fact that they're children, that something extraordinary and real happened to them. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You know, I knew it was a big story. Well, I knew how compelling the testimony from the children was. Well, I mean, I was always profoundly affected by it. But my partner, Rebecca, was dropping some tea off in, in the edit room one time and we never talk UFOs and in and, fact, and, you know, it, it suits me just fine. The UFOs in my <laughs> household, let me yeah. out a little more that we just don't, that's just not on a level that we engage in. But one day I was reviewing the content of the children interviews with Dr. John Mack and Rebecca came in and dropped some tea off and she stopped and she looked at the children and she froze and she looked at me and she looked back at the children. And then she looked back at me and said, that's the most amazing thing I've ever heard. Those children are definitely not lying. Wow, is what she said. Mm-hmm. So I knew that if she was affected because, you know, she's never really paid much attention. Not that she doesn't care about what I do. It's just it's not a thing, you know, but the children got to her very heavily, very.
0: I think of all the things in the film, we have a lot of classic cases there. This is the one that's got to make people take notice. Especially right now, because of the pandemic, people are more than ever concerned about their families. And they're seeing children, well-behaved children, not the kind of kids that can just make something up. All these kids talking about something amazing that happened to them. And then the adults that we see reacting to it years later. And I think anyone who may dismiss UFOs as having some authenticity beyond just weird lights this is the scene that has to do it for them
1: yeah you know i'll tell you the end of the film was an accident if i may just give you a, a little uh, behind the scenes look at how it came about sure i had this idea in the edit room and you got to try things and a lot of things don't work and sometimes they do but you got to try, and it leads to different places, and sometimes you nail it, and other times, poof, up you go. You could spend a week or two on something, then it just ends up in the garbage, or longer, <laughs> in fact. I had this idea with the children's faces. I just found it really, a, the contemplative look on the children, right after the incident, right after the encounter, they were being interviewed, and they were sitting in their chairs, just re- uh, clearly reflecting on on what they'd seen, trying to their darndest, to articulate to the best of their ability what that experience was and what it meant and all that. And then when I met them, but think about it, 20 years, when I met them as adults, the children as adults, they'd had 20 years to think about it, and they could articulate better, the process better, the, the, their experience. So I had this idea in the edit room that I was going to put the voices of them as adults underneath their faces as children and analyze and kind of evaluate what, what, how they were processing the experience. So I spent like probably a week or so doing it. It was really powerful, but I didn't know exactly where I wanted to put it in the sequence. So I copied it and pasted it with like I do a lot of times and I bump it to the end of the timeline. And then I forget about it for a few months. And then one day just the player head and the timeline just happened to, I just didn't hit the space bar and the player head was, was, was moving on beyond what I was working on.
0: Explain to listeners, it's common in audio and video editing software to start and stop with the space bar.
1: Yeah. You start and stop with the space bar. There's a little player head and it plays over whatever content you have in the timeline and the time and the content I had was audio of the adults but the visual was them as children. So it's the same people. You can hear them as adults while you're looking at them as children. And I've done this beautiful little montage. Well, accidentally and inadvertently I deleted them as adults, probably a week's worth of work gone. <laughs> and I was like, work. Uh-huh. but, but there was this music playing and just their faces with nothing. And I thought, Oh my gosh, this is powerful. This is really powerful. And I, I just knew right then and there, this was the end of the movie. There was no place to go after that.
0: Now, I should mention to our listeners just a little bit of a spoiler. Okay? Now, we know with the Marvel films and even with Justice League, the film they're trying to recut now, the Snyder Cut, they intersperse the credits with more content. So you can't just walk out of the theater or turn it off at the closing credits. You got to keep watching. More to come with James, Gene, and Randall. You're in The Paracast.
10: Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today.
0: Hey, listeners. the Paracast Plus, To learn more about Paracast Plus.
8: We have all seen and perhaps used the alcohol-based hand sanitizers. Have you ever noticed how it dries your skin and as soon as the alcohol evaporates, it's no longer effective? With bacteria and virus problems, sanitizers and hand washing are the first line of defense against infectious disease. GCNteam.com has alcohol-free antibacterial soap and foam meeting or exceeding all requirements as set forth by the United States Food and Drug Administration as a first aid antiseptic. When it comes to sanitizers, it only makes sense that it lasts till the next application and doesn't dry and crack your skin, inviting infection. For long-lasting alcohol-free sanitizing, come to GCNteam.com keyword antibacterial. That's GCNteam.com, antibacterial, or call 877-878-4203, 877-878-4203.
16: hey this is marie d jones the author of this book is from the future and you are listening to the paracast the gold standard of paranormal radio
0: where james fox did you get the idea to do that closing where the closing credits you go on for a few seconds and you have more content
1: well i i said earlier we would color code things and purple was this is really good and we've got to get it in the movie and then we have different elevations of purple and uh when i couldn't figure out a place to put it within the film i would i would copy and paste it and put it right at the back of the timeline and get to it later i wanted to keep the content you know associated with the film but i just didn't have a place for it when we finished the movie we couldn't squeeze it in we decided hey let's have some fun and uh let's break up the credit roll and uh and we'll sprinkle it throughout the end so we did and it was great and i got to put a lot of stuff in the film that otherwise would have ended up on the edit room floor that i felt was really powerful and really necessary and so that's how that came about but it's fun and Did you guys watch it all the way to the end?
0: The closing scene is in memoriam to Stan Friedman. I'll tell you that. You got to watch the film to that because then you see everything, including stuff from China. Of course, now China is so controversial and everything with the pandemic. But what did you have to do to go to China to get stuff?
1: Well, Don Schmidt had connected me with some people in China on Jin, uh, head of a UFO, one of the biggest UFO organizations in Dalian, which is the second largest seaport in China. We took a train from Beijing, and we traveled all around China. And um, I learned about this case. It was a landing case, an alleged close encounter of the third kind. Uh, Meng Guo, happened in 1994, the same year as the landing in Africa with the children in Rua. Um, the same environmental message of destruction was given to this guy mung Hua, and just uh, overall just it was a, a, a sort of wet my toe in, in China and learned about UFO cases in China and and uh, then you know this, this this phenomenon as you well know is global and so it was it was it was a lot of fun and, and unfortunately only a little bit of the content ended up in in the film just because again there just wasn't room you know I, I, I should have done a 10 part series.
0: Well, you can do what they're doing with the Snyder cut. They're making a two-hour film into four hours in four parts. All you need is to get Warner Media to send you a check for $30 million. (laughs) Exactly. You know what's funny about that is they're going to be spending a lot more because now they're doing reshoots with the original actors and then going back and redoing all the special effects. So they could buy, with the money they're spending, and it's going to be a lot more than $30 million, they can buy a few films for you.
6: I tell you,
1: I would... I love the idea of having a bigger budget, though I really wore myself out in the edit room chair. In fact, I have this really nice chair that I bought, used on Craigslist. It's called an um, Aeron. Uh, are you familiar with... Familiar with this chair? It, it It's adjusted a bunch of different ways. They're super expensive, and I bought mine used on Craigslist. And I wore it out. It finally just broke on me. I mean, I sat in that thing for three and a half years editing this movie, and I had paralysis in my right arm and leg. And at one point, I, I couldn't walk. I could barely walk, and I was lying on a ball on the floor. And my editing partner, and I had a number of them, this guy Lance Mungia, he, he did a film called... Um, third eye spy that came out, I think last year, but he was like, you know, James, you know, I was on my back and he's like, you know, you you really should go see a doctor. You can't walk. And you know, I was like, I I gotta get, I I gotta get the movie done. He's like, yeah, but the movie's not going to get done if you die. (laughs) So I actually went to a therapist and I did some uh, physical therapy because I, I had paralysis. I mean, it was really bad really bad that's why when i talk about a mini series I, I have to have a budget big enough where i can bring in a crew that, that i don't need to be in the trenches as much as i was i could more oversee oversee as opposed to um spending another three years in a chair
0: uh-huh. well then they would send you to the hospital let me ask you a question here. technically of course a lot of our listeners know i covered technology and I even wrote for USA Today and places like that and a lot of these old magazines and Cena and everything. Can you tell our, those who are curious, because they might want to edit their own films, what software, what equipment did you use? What
1: was your toolbox? I started with Final Cut Pro on an older Mac it was a it was a uh, i an iMac. A, it was a top of line iMac like six to seven years ago. Of course, the technology changes every week. And then I had to transition over because I was trying to work with other people, and people were like, uh, "Yeah, we don't. Nobody really edits with Final Cut Pro Seven anymore. People have moved on to Adobe Premiere. You really need to if you want to work with other people, that's the format. So." Reluctantly, I, I had to, in the middle of, of, of production, switch software and, and editing programs and transition over and do all the imports. And that was my lord. That took like eight months. And then I had the learning curve of the, the new editing software. But Adobe Premiere is ultimately what we did it on. And then I bought an upgrade. I upgraded my system because I was editing with a lot of 4K and it, the system kept crashing and C300s and really high resolution stuff. And I got a um, the maximum sixty four gigs of RAM, and then I, it was the fastest. It looks, it's called a can. It's a it's a um, Mac Pro, and it looks literally like a can. Like a, I think they jokingly call it a garbage can, but it's circular. Okay,
0: the two thousand thirteen Mac Pro.
1: Um, it's a circular thing. It looks like a It literally looks That's like it. a can of beer. Yeah, but it was a two thousand a- Probably 16 or 17 is when
0: I got that. Right. They yeah, kept probably. it going for a few years and did a few upgrades. Of course, you're using Intel Xeon processors, which, which is what we use on our web server, by the way. And those are designed mm-hmm. for humongous amounts of... CPU horsepower to crunch numbers. The memory is what they call ECC memory. So if you think you go to Amazon, buy memory for your computer for a hundred bucks, look up ECC, which is what the Mac Pro uses, the current one too. And suddenly you're spending hundreds or thousands of dollars. So what he spent was a lot of money to get the power to do this. So we know already you're using a desktop machine In terms of the design, but you're doing pro, pro level work.
1: I was very impressed. What I liked about it was it didn't take up that much space. It didn't crash that often. And there were a lot of processing power needed because we used filters to upgrade the older archival material that was required a lot of processing speed. Uh, And I liked it because it didn't make a lot of noise, didn't have these big, heavy fans. The design of it kept it cool i guess and it, again it didn't take up much much space and you know it was several thousand dollars but considering what you're getting you're editing an entire movie right i just got a big flat screen in fact i think i got did i get one no i got one big no i had two flat screens that i ended on yeah two flat screens pretty good system and then of course hard drive space was always an issue because you know i think i have 17 terabytes or more a lot a lot <laughs> A
0: lot of material. I'm not doing movies here. What we have here is an Apple iMac with a 27-inch 5K retina display so I can edit 4K movies in something like the new Final Cut, which is much better than a, the, the new one's much better than the older one. But of course, going to Premiere is no big deal. It's a It's a major, well-respected product. And I'm seeing 5K, but then if I want to edit a 4K movie, if I were in that, I could still see the menus and edit natively in 4K. So this stuff is just getting more and more powerful. Now the new the new iPhone 12, they've got a Pro Max, which is coming out in November. And the reason I mention this is it has tools designed for the motion picture industry. It can shoot, by the way, 4K film, but it can also edit, process, HDR, all the bells and whistles in a little iPhone. And it's designed to keep track of assets for the movie industry. It was designed with motion picture editors in mind. And to show you how technology changes, they've actually made movies on iPhones, like Steven Soderbergh directed one.
1: I've got two scenes in this film that were shot with my iPhone. I literally was in Africa, didn't have any cameramen around me, picked up my iPhone, put it on 4K, held it really steady, and a couple of the scenes went in the film, and I don't think anybody could tell the difference.
0: You can't. And the new ones have even higher resolution in the sense of getting more data in there, more processing. So yeah, it, it's amazing what you could do with this equipment now, where twenty years ago you'd spend tens of thousands of dollars, we have James Fox. Oh God! We have James Fox joining us. This is Gene and Randall, you're in the ParaCast.
10: Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNLive.com today.
5: Would you like to get back that full head of hair from years past? Introducing Reveal from GCNLife.com Beverly Hills dermatologist Dr. Nathan Newman invented Reveal which contains polypeptides with natural botanicals and no parabens sulfates, silicones or dyes for a salon quality hair growth product. Reveal. Here's Dr. Newman.
1: I have treated a lot of patients who lose their hair and they lose their confidence we've created a unique set of polypeptides which we call HPT6. The HPT6 contains the polypeptides from six different plants. The scalp infusion treatment should be used on wet or dry scalp. The Reveal hair Care system is designed to be used for men and women alike.
5: Get Reveal at GCNlife.com with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So try Reveal today at GCNlife.com or 844-443-6637 plus a discount up to 25% off for Reveal at GCNlife.com or 844-443-6637.
9: Welcome back to the Paracast The gold standard of paranormal radio And now, here's Gene Steinberg
0: So we're talking here about the editing process For the phenomenon And maybe we're getting too much in the weeds but you've got to realize the pain, the agony, all the effort he put in to put this labor of love together. You're not going to run away with tens of millions of dollars here. People have to understand that.
1: Yeah, it was the better part of eight years from concept to completion. And I mean, I describe it oftentimes as the feeling of being in a ring with a monster and you're just trying to survive the next round. And that is exhausting. It's not, it's not even so much... The amount of workload was huge, but it's the consistency of it. And and you can't, you know, when you're involved with a project like this, you can never just shut it off. It's constantly in the back of your mind when you go to sleep, when, you, when you're asleep, when you wake up, and when you go about your day, how am I going to pull this off? How am I going to get these interviews? Oh, I'm running out of money again. I need to go bank for more money. I need to get more investors. And this just goes on and on for year after year after year after year. And there's literally a story behind. I mean, I could probably make a documentary on each interview that we landed. Gosh, people start to ask me, oh, well, how was it in Australia? It's like, wow, you wouldn't believe what it took to get the interviews with some of the people in Australia. Oh, well, I would yeah. could go on and talk about that. <laughs> Definitely.
2: You know, or, or, Let, let's yeah. actually talk a little bit about that, because for me, here we go. You just hit on another one of those golden moments because it's an, another school with a whole bunch of children and teachers who also witnessed a UFO sighting. Really, it's really so, interesting.
1: It's so incredible. And I and I have to give Paula Harris uh, credit for uh, introducing me to James Rigney and ultimately Shane Ryan, uh, who's, who did a film on that uh, Westall case. When I initially hear about these school landings, I think, uh, you know, come on, how— could an event of that magnitude with that many witnesses in broad daylight take place and the world, not know about it. To me, that was my reasoning. It was just, come on. But I have learned over the years to suspend judgment and listen to the witnesses and just hear them out because more times than not, I come in thinking there's no way this is true. And I walk away going, I can't believe this happened. The landing in Westall. I mean, there were, according to the teacher, which I interviewed, Oh, close to 300 people. In ten, what ten o'clock in the morning, broad daylight, all sitting out with their jaws on the floor, watching this couple of discs maneuver around in the sky. At one point, there's a, a smaller airport nearby, and a couple of small light aircraft were sort of playing cat and mouse. And then, and then the UFO lands just outside the the, the school grounds, and a number of kids jump the jump the fence and run run uh, out by the forest where where it landed. You know, we interviewed some people that got within 10, 12 feet of a landed flying saucer in broad daylight. I mean, it's unbelievable, yeah. right?
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I'm with you on this because, uh, you know, I would read the classic cases and, you know, the Ruppelt's report on unidentified flying objects and Kehoe and all the rest. And had seen most of the other documentaries, in, including your previous one, which is very good, too. Yeah. then Somebody just mentioned this. You know, what about the Westall encounter? And I'm like, the what? And then like I know. And then it was like, "Wow, this is amazing. You know, And you've got the really? interview with the one is a, I think if I'm remembering correctly here, it was a, a former teacher who had a visit by some mysterious people that said, "You're just not going to say anything or else.
1: You know how we got him to go on camera. When I first got to Westall, it was a wonderful effort. I mean, I couldn't believe the level of support I got from 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 the organizations and and James uh, Rigney and and Shane Ryan and and all the others. I mean, it was like a whole team of support. Even the media and stuff were incredibly helpful to get me in the room with some of these witnesses that hadn't come forward in fifty years ever publicly.
2: These are gems. These are like here we're talking golden moments again.
1: Yeah, yeah, no no doubt about it. I'd bore your listeners to death if I went into detail how we got the school teacher for the first time in 15 no, years to go. No, no,
2: don't. You're not boring anyone here. Tell us how you did it. I'd like to know. I was told from all the researchers, don't even bother trying. He's never going to talk. We've been trying for 50
1: years. And I said, get me in the room with him. That's all I ask. And in the three or four or five days it took to get the meeting with him to have lunch, I met with his Former students, as well as witnesses that were standing next to him during the encounter. And I shot very short, succinct sound bites of the students pleading with him, saying, You know, Mr. So and so, you were standing next to me. We were practically holding hands. We were children. You've let us out, you know, to, on our own to not provide support. You were, what are you doing? It's been 50 years. What are you waiting for? One after the other, after the other, after the other, after the other, and he literally at this lunch meeting, I could see he was visibly moved by these women that were his students at the time. I mean, literally one after the other, pleading with him, like, "What are you waiting for?" Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, know, you, you were next to me during the encounter, and you—you know—you haven't even stood by our side. And if you're ever going to come forward, do it now. So he looks up at me. And he made it really clear at the beginning of the of the meeting. I'm not going on camera. I'm not going to do it. No, no, no. I get... He looks up at me and he says, um, "I could see he was teetering. He was up against the ropes. He was. I had almost had him where I wanted him." And he said, uh, "Boy, this is. Um, oh, well, this is. Oof, God, this. Oh man, I'm. I'm almost willing to to meet with you." And I said, "Well, what is it going to take?" He said, "I don't know. You tell me." I said, "Okay." I, right on the fly, I said. We won't reveal your name. Or we won't have your face on camera. He said, okay, let's do it. And his wife was out shopping while we were doing this luncheon with him. And we were at this like kind of fancy club. It's like a, one of those clubs, luncheon dinner clubs for like a gentleman's club, but not in a sexual way, but it was just, you know, kind right. of more and more exclusive places. Right. Sure. And, uh, I looked around and I saw the manager and I jumped up out of my chair and I knew we had a small window to get this guy. Cause I could already see that his decision-making was already in question, and I needed a spot to shoot it, and we needed it now. And I said, "Um, excuse me, ma'am, is by any chance, we just need to have a quiet moment together. I didn't want to say filming because they would not allow filming on the premises. I was sure of that. Is there a place that you, well, the patio's closed, but, you know, I'll open it for you, and you guys can have have your moment out in the patio. It's great. So off we go, whip outside of the patio, James Rigney, I believe it was, it could have been Jay, Shane Ryan, but I think it was James Rigney could not figure out how to get the bloody audio working on the camera that he was, that he had. And I could see the gears turning in this professor's head. It had been 50 years. He'd never come forward. And I knew, I could just, I knew what he was thinking. What am I doing? Why am I doing this? I don't want to get involved. I shouldn't be doing this. My wife's going to kill me. I, I, I just knew it. I could see it. And the effects of, the testimony he had just heard from his students that were also witnesses standing next to him where it was wearing off. I finally just said, James, screw it. Grab my iPhone, put it on memo, which records memo. I said, one of you guys hold this up to his mouth. I'll sync it in post-production roll camera. It is what it is because I'm going to get this guy. It's going to be this or nothing. And we had just about maybe 12 minutes with him. And then I could see his wife arriving through the glass, I see her come walking up to the table and we weren't <laughs> around. I know that he, I know his wife didn't want anything to do with this, right? I'm desperately trying to, like, get this thing done, hide the camera here, get back to the table, <laughs> you know? But I, I told him that I wouldn't reveal his name and I wouldn't um, reveal his face, and, um, and we didn't. So, but it's very compelling to hear, this guy gets a bloody, I mean, 50 years ago he gets a knock on the door it is two men in suits, one in uniform and one in plain clothes suit, basically threatening him. Not basically, they were.
2: Yeah, yeah. It, uh,
1: that's yeah. the thing: they're going to ruin his life if he talked about it.
2: Well, when you, when you were describing how the, these children were pleading with him to back them up. I mean, I, I was literally getting shivers there when you're describing this, because these are very, very powerful moments in people's lives when you're that young. And obviously in his as well, when when these things actually happen to you, it's completely different than just talking about it in theory, because anyone can do that and they can be kind of dismissive and like, oh, yeah, so there's UFOs. Big deal. You know, so long as it doesn't affect my golf game.
0: More to come with Gene, Randall, and James. You're in The Paracast. Hey, listeners. I want you to have the entire Paracast experience. So I'd like to tell you about After The Paracast. After The Paracast is an exclusive feature for subscribers to The Paracast Plus. Once again, theparacast.plus. Prices are just $1.50 a week, less than a cup of coffee at your local convenience store. Check out theparacast.plus to learn more
17: about Paracast Plus. Are you ready for what's next? It's likely coming. More food shortages, power outages, grocery stores closed, social unrest. Ask yourself, do you have enough food and supplies on hand to last at least 30 days? Most Americans do not, but you can. Avoid the panic of the last-minute rush. Order your four-week supply of emergency food today from MyPatriotSupply.com. Starvation or dependency on the government are your only alternatives. Avoid those and the pain of being unprepared. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com right now. Build your emergency food supply with meals that last up to 25 years in storage, shipped discreetly to your door. Folks that know what's coming are using today to prepare. There's time for you to do the same. That's MyPatriotSupply.com, the original Patriot preparedness company. MyPatriotSupply.com.
9: We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com.
0: The thing to amplify what you were saying Randall, before we broke is that It's one thing to read about this stuff in a UFO book or magazine or something, or even to hear somebody talk about it, but to see it, to see people talking about what happened to them, to look into their eyes. And this is not fake news, folks. This is about people who had real things happening to them, and we can discuss what that might have been, but that has an incredible impact.
2: Well, especially children, because you know they're so sincere when they're pleading with you about fairness. They feel it. They know it. They're not just making it up. You know that they're telling the truth when it's like that.
1: Yeah, I tell you, man. When I I don't use the word indelible very often, but that the testimonials from the children, and, and it, you know, even as adults. Here's one other thing I'll mention quickly, and this was of no surprise really, but. I think it was Channel 8, but it might have been Channel 10, I'm sorry, I don't remember, in Australia, but they're nationwide, and they were on the scene in in, in 1966, right after this incident took place, literally within an hour or so, interviewing the children. And I I went on that channel uh, all those years later when I was in Australia, and I asked the news people what happened to that material. And I don't remember if it was Shane Ryan or if it was someone later on that went after that footage, but apparently the canister in their archive department was there, and they opened it up and it was empty. So all that was erased. That archival footage, which would have been absolutely precious, can you imagine? Yeah. No, and then no. having the authorities come down and basically tell everyone to, not to talk about it. I mean, could you imagine? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the teachers being threatened, the principals being threatened. I mean, my God. You know, and that's one of the things that that you remember the teacher, the scientific teacher, and everyone I've shown it to is like, "Oh my God, there's no way that guy's lying," but he said what puzzled him the most was why he couldn't talk about it.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that this is the question, right? And we'd all like to know. There's so many little parts in this film that you really do need to watch it a couple of times to pick them up, you know, but, but there was one in there where you you might have to help me out in terms of remembering exactly where it was, but they were talking about these same films went into these archives in the United States, right. When they were doing the studies back in the day and the person that was talking about this said, well, Uh, when they went looking for them, the excuse was, well, that somebody just, you know, packed them into some cardboard boxes and they went out in the trash or something like that. I mean, that boggles my mind. I mean, we know that that happened with some of the moon landing stuff, which, which, you know, how that could happen, I don't know. But it boggles my mind how material like that can just vanish into nowhere.
1: Uh, I had brought up the alleged footage uh, according to uh, Gordon Cooper of the landing at Edwards Air Force Base circa 1957, that was filmed by his camera crew, that were I think they were filming the installation of some landing facility for F-86 fighter jets back in the late 50s, and you know he talks about this this footage. He held the footage. He had he had it uh, developed, and then he held it in his hands, and he said, he, "I said, well, did you watch it?" He's, Gordon Cooper said, well, I didn't look, I didn't put it to the thing and play it, but I did hold it up to light and I could see it was a disc on the dry lake bed, yada, yada, yada. Uh, And then eventually getting, uh, you know, calls in from Washington and a courier jet came and picked the footage up and, of course, never to be seen or heard from again. And I brought this up um, when I had a sit-down with Senator Harry Reid. And I wasn't sure, by the way, George Knapp facilitated that interview happening, and I have to tip my hat. Him every time I mentioned Senator Reid. Um, but I brought that footage up to Senator Reid, and I wasn't sure if I was going to go beyond his comfort zone talking about footage of a flying saucer landing uh, at, on the dry lake bed at Edwards Air Force Base. You know, at any point, he might be like, you know what, I'm not talking about this, and kind of get up and leave. I was cautious. But to my amazement, he confirmed that stuff like that was there, and, uh, and then I even said, well, are you implying that there's evidence that hasn't seen the light of day. And he takes a moment and pauses, which seemed like a five minutes of a time. It was probably just a beat. Takes a sip of his water and then responds that most of the evidence hasn't seen the light of day. And then, take it even further, when I met with, with the former Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense for Intelligence, Christopher Mellon, uh, during both Clinton and, I think, Bush years, he said that, President Clinton had met with Gordon Cooper and that he had, in an official capacity, told Christopher Mellon to go after this alleged landing footage at Edwards. And uh, so it was funny because I was interviewing Gordon Cooper in the 90s, talking about the footage at the exact same time he was uh, meeting with Clinton in the White House, and Christopher Mellon was actually going after that material, and he talks about it in the movie. And then he eventually gets some high-level Air Force guy who says, oh yeah, we had to you know, get rid of all that stuff to make space for whatever. And he's like, oh, come on. Yeah. You know, Christopher, yeah. like rolling his eyes, like, yeah, you know, <laughs> throw away footage of a flying saucer landing at a military base.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, how does this even happen? Like, how believable is that, really? You know, it's, a, it's, a, yeah.
1: It, it didn't happen. It didn't happen. That's, a, yeah. that's nonsense.
0: I, I listen to this and I'm thinking, you've got all these people prominent in the government. You have somebody who was relatively high official with the Bush and with the Clinton administration's Christopher Mellon, who is really, I think, one of the stars of the film because he's so straightforward and pleasant in his demeanor. He doesn't come across like a government bureaucrat. And you see Senator Harry Reid, who is clumsy in the way he talks. You know, he's not really a great public speaker. And he says, yeah, there's a lot of stuff out there. That hasn't been disclosed. And you look at all this Mm -hmm. and you wonder, my God, these people in high authority know something's going on, but we don't have more of a reaction. It's like, let's go back to the 2016 election. You remember this, James, and certainly Randall does. We had Hillary Clinton going on late night TV shows talking about UAPs and why she wants, if she's elected president, to have a look at it. And we think, I was thinking here, my God, what is she doing? We're going to have Trump running around raving. Crooked Hillary is nuts. Crooked Hillary is chasing flying saucers and all this stuff. And you know what he said? Nothing. I mean, all the things he attacked about her didn't mention this at all. And we think all this stuff out there. And people aren't talking about it. I mean, I understand now because we live in this nutty news cycle where there is the story of the day, the tweet of the day, the controversy of the day. And I suggest on the show, and maybe I'll get your reaction as we talk about the film further, James Fox is that if tomorrow somebody in authority, the DNI, even Trump himself, said, you know what? We have this phenomenon. It's very possible that these craft are not of this earth. And you know what? It would be in the news cycle for about two hours, and then people would get back to chasing after Hunter Biden or something. More to come with James and Randall and Gene. You're in
2: the paracast.
10: Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. As Dr. Wallach says, we all have
16: nutrient deficiencies in our diets and must supplement with 90 essential nutrients in proper balances. At no cost or obligation, get a personal certified holistic health coach to help you develop a supplement program based on Dr. Wallach's recommendations. Call Linda at 833-VITAL90. That number to call is 833 848 2590. That's 833 Vital 90.
12: USA Radio News with Dan Naraki. The chief of staff for the vice president has tested positive. Mark Short went into quarantine Saturday after learning of his positive COVID-19 test. Both Vice President Pence and his wife Karen tested negative on Saturday. In a statement, his office said that while Short is considered a close contact with the vice president, Pence would be maintaining his schedule. President Trump was on the campaign trail Saturday through several battleground states holding rallies in Ohio and Wisconsin and telling a crowd in Lumberton, North Carolina, about his work to help the middle class. I fight for the middle class, and Biden and his cronies serve only one class. They serve the donor class, believe it or not. Now, in all fairness the donor class, I would be the greatest in history. All I have to do is call them, send 10 million, send 10 million. Everyone would send 10 million. But once you do that, you can't deal with them anymore. Once you do that, you can no longer do what's right for you. This is USA Radio News. Most of the San Francisco Bay Area could be in the dark come Sunday. USA Radio Network's Kenneth Burns explains
6: why. Pacific gas and electric may cut power to more than a million people Sunday to prevent the chance of sparking wildfires as extreme fire weather returns to the region. The nation's largest utility announced the move yesterday. They said it could blackout customers in 38 counties, including most of the San Francisco Bay Area. The forecast are calling for a return of bone-dry, gusty weather that carries the threat of downing power lines or other equipment that have been blamed for igniting massive and deadly blazes in recent years, particularly in central and northern California. Meanwhile, wildfires in Colorado have turned deadly as two people are
12: confirmed dead in the East Troublesome Fire burning in northern Colorado. That blaze has burned more than 188,000 acres, becoming the second biggest fire in state's history. The largest, the Cameron Peak Fire, has torched nearly 207,000 acres and is burning just miles away. This is USA Radio News.
14: Hello, this is John Burroughs, one of the witnesses to the Rendlesham UFO incident. You're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio.
0: James, do you agree with me at all that it is so crazy out there that real disclosure of that nature that I cited in the previous segment would just vanish from this lineup after a few hours.
1: You know, I've never been a big fan of or a proponent of, you know, so-called disclosure with a capital D. Um, I always felt that it was extremely unlikely. But if there was any level of confirmation of the existence of UFOs, and we've gotten kind of close recently, the acknowledgement of UAPs and, and official material, but it would have to be backed with concrete, irrefutable Data and evidence, because that would be the only way, in my opinion, that it would really stick. So I think that if they did release—and look, we know they're sitting on a treasure trove of material. I mean, we've got the stories decade after decade after decade. The incursions over sensitive nuclear weapons facilities, shooting— Nuclear-tipped warheads out of the, out of out of the sky that were on videotape at Vandenberg Air Force Base. I mean, there's countless uh, witnesses that have talked about this film footage and landing footage and landing at Holman Air Force Base footage and all this material. I mean, you can imagine the gun camera footage they've got from the 50s and 60s. So they're sitting on a treasure trove of hard evidence, the radar, whatever recovered. I'm sure on, on the crash cases, but. You can't just do it with words. It would have to be. And, and I think that a lot of that might be out of the in the private sector at this point, from what I can understand. I'm not all of it, but it sounds like a lot of it is. So how do you get access to that?
0: Did you consider probing know. into Bob Bigelow?
1: I had a meeting with Bob Bigelow years ago. Funny enough, you should say that. And Bob Bigelow said things to me at his home in Las Vegas that I'm still having a hard time processing
2: 10 years later.
1: Do tell. Well, I, I, I don't want to come across as a nutter, but...
2: You're already there, James. Don't worry about it. You're in oh, good okay. company. I,
1: look, I, okay, I, I, look, I, I'm just uncomfortable talking about this stuff just because I myself have no evidence to support it, and I'm not claiming that I do support it, or I'm not claiming that I do believe it. But coming from him and knowing what he's, all the think tanks he's put together, and all the classifications and all the evidence and all the research and the millions of dollars, that if anyone was going to be in a position to know, it would probably be Bigelow. And um, Bigelow not only talked about the impact of this coming out it would have on the world economy and all this religion and everything else. I'm not saying again. I'm not saying I agree with that, but that's one of the things he reminded me of. And and the other thing was. Uh, and again, I, I have to really emphasize this clearly to your audience that I'm not saying that I believe this, but I have to. I can't just quickly dismiss it because of the source. But he's convinced they're walking among us.
4: Well, he's
0: not the only one. We have people like Dr. David Jacobs, who talks about human alien hybrids. Now, one thing you didn't get into you, one thing you didn't get into there, of course, were the abductions. Well, hang on a sec, there,
2: Jean. I'd like to hear a little bit more about this. Like, did go ahead? Let's do that first, and then go to the other. Go ahead. Yeah. Was did he specify in any more detail than that, or did he just kind of sort of uh, cryptically allude to the fact that he believes they're out there walking among us?
1: He cryptically alluded to it, but firmly, very firmly.
2: Interesting. I mean, like, yeah, like Jean said, he's he wouldn't be the only one. Timothy Good believes that. Um, I'm tempted. At times, to think that, well, you know, we see on programs like Star Trek the idea of a, of an away mission to, is to uh, check out a civilization beforehand, I and mean, maybe wouldn't we do something like that if we went to another planet? We we might try the same thing. It's not really as far out there as you might think in terms of the concept, you know.
1: Well, I, you know, my my fear is just by the very fact of me talking about that I don't want to frighten anybody off because I'm associated with some people that that are connected to the film and I don't want to go beyond their comfort zone and that's why I'm saying look I'm not telling anyone that that's what I believe I would have to see a lot of significant evidence uh, of which I don't have and nowhere have I seen to be able to start saying that and I'm acutely aware of the reaction that would bring I mean you you just can't say stuff like that publicly Without having significant, I mean, come on, think about. Well,
2: it. hey, I, I share your sentiment on it, but but it does make yeah. me think, and and it make it, you know, I've wondered from time to time. Well, if that's true, you know, how would we be able to tell them apart? You know, just to be fair-minded about it. Well, you know, okay, so let's suppose that that's the case. You know, how would they manifest themselves? How could we tell them apart from someone in the mall if we're walking through a mall and there's hundreds of people, or look, of course, a lot less these days what would be about them that would maybe give them away, you know? <laughs> and it's, so it's an interesting thing to to contemplate, but it's an entirely separate thing than when you start talking about things like radar contacts. And, of course, you cover the Nimitz case in the film as well, and there's some real golden moments there. Uh, the interview with David Fravor, I mean, he's saying, like, his entire ship, 5,500 people on that ship, on that aircraft carrier, by the time this was all over, knew exactly what was going on. And this, so we're talking about, they weren't maybe direct witnesses, but they were, they were there and knew that these planes had chased them, had taken images of them, had been, they'd been tracked on their systems, and that they were there. So this and this just isn't 5,500 people. Say it is sports event or something. These are military trained people. Yeah,
1: no, it's a fascinating case. Hey, did you guys like? Look, a couple of things I wanted to point out is some of the archival material that we got. Uh, you know, David Marler was very helpful with that. There was uh, um, Tom Tullian, uh a Project Sign uh, uh, archive. I don't know if you if, if you are oral uh, oral history. Uh, he had shot interviews. I mean, look, we've all heard of the WA- William Nash and, and uh, Fortenberry, right? William Nash and William Fortenberry case, sure. two pilots that flew between the U- uh, nine disks. But to hear the testimony yeah. from yeah. from William Nash, I mean, my God, it really brought that story to life. It's just so priceless. And then hearing Al Chop in the radar room, the two oh, yeah. nine, in, in 1952 and one yeah. of the really poignant moments for me was his description of listening to the, the voice of the pilot as he's literally flying through the pitch black at 600 miles an hour into a group of unknowns. And he gets on his radio, terrified, basically, trying to maintain his composure, and he asks the people on the ground in the radar room, what do I do? Yeah. For some reason, that that story came to life with that testimony. Unlike I've never seen it. You know um, the human element of it. The, the what fear.
2: I really, what I really liked about your film when you were doing that too, and uh, okay, I, I'm a little bit of a stickler for certain kinds of details, right? You actually yeah. had and you know images or you know clips of an F94. It was the same kind of plane that was used. And the same thing with the F-86 Sabrejet. When you had those clips, those were the planes that they were using in the day. And I thought, nice touch. Nice touch, for sure.
1: Oh, thanks for noticing. Did you notice the B-25 that we got from William Coleman? Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. That was really good. Yeah, love that. I mean, those are little things that, to me, in a film, really make a big difference.
1: I'm so glad you noticed that. You're the first person to mention that. We went out of our way to make sure that that was the right those were the right planes
2: oh yeah that was like okay because okay so you know i'm i've been in ufology a long time i'm like okay let's see what this is like and then those 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 clips come in and i'm just like yeah okay i'm checking off that box that doesn't happen very often you know really <laughs>
1: you're the first person you're the first person to notice that actually yeah thank
2: you. no nice touch
0: Hey, we're what gonna split here in a moment. I just want to mention something we'll refer to more detail in the next segment as we continue with James Fox, the director of the phenomenon. At age ninety-two, James Randi, one of the most famous or infamous skeptics, a escape artist is dead at the age of ninety-two. James Randi. We got more to come with Sheen and Randall. You're in
2: The Paracast. <laughs>
16: Care, you might be eligible for a CGM with little or no cost to you. Call U.S. Medical Supply today for a free benefits check. We offer free shipping, 90-day supplies, and we bill Medicare or your insurance directly. Call now and say goodbye to finger pricks.
7: 800-880-1896. 800-880-1896. 800-880-1896. That's 800-880-1896. Hi, this is Bryce Abel. I'm the producer of Dark Skies, the co-author of A.D. After Disclosure, and you are listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal
18: radio.
0: And before we go on, James Fox, having heard about Randy, did you ever encounter him in the course of your travels?
1: I did not. I did not. I did not. I mean, James Oberg.
2: Completely and, different. <laughs>
1: yep, yeah, I know. But who's the other guy? There was James Oberger. Who's the guy that died? Oh, Klaus.
2: Oh, Ray right. uh, class. class. Yeah. Phil yeah. Class. So, Phil
0: Class and Randy. Yep. I was a um, guest on Randy's radio show for WOR Radio in the 60s. And the backstory is very quick here. And that is that when Long John went to another station, to WNBC, Randy took it over for a year or two and then he was canceled. I was on there a couple of times and Randy, in addition to all his other stuff, and then he wasn't as quite an arch skeptic as he was later, he was also an astronomer, an amateur astronomer, and I actually interviewed him on that subject like about 1968. James Randy did it 92, really hung out for a long, long time. He had to wait till his beard was fully grown. I think I don't want to be silly about someone's death. Let's get back to the phenomenon and Randall, of course, mentioning this. And I referred to this earlier in the fact that we had this brief discussion about the possibility that maybe they're among us now. Abductions is not a place you wanted to touch because of the time factor or what?
1: You know, I feel that this is the first Film, and I've done, like I said, this is my fourth and a half film because I did two versions of Out of the Blue. That if I'm successful in transcending the UFO community, not that I'm trying to create, not create something enjoyable for all of us, but it, to create something palatable and viewable among mainstream and get them thinking, I felt I needed to take baby steps. And, and going out on a limb with alleged close encounters of the third kind, which is the first time I've done that. Uh, I felt that was about as far as I wanted to push it for now. Uh, Obviously, there are lots of other aspects of the phenomenon that, you know, obviously were not included, but, uh, you know, baby steps.
0: Now, the only real criticism I've seen of the film, except, you know, minor quibbles, is that, oh, I knew about these cases already. But your core audience is not the person who knows about all this stuff, is it?
1: You know, we would say in the edit room, Where are we going? We're on the road to Rua. And what we meant by that, that was our mantra, was that if we penetrate a mainstream audience with this film, if we succeed with what we're trying to do, A, I wanted to give a lot of little nuggets of of new information on older cases, some of the stuff I just talked with you about with Al Chop and William Nash and the daughter of Kenneth Arnold. I mean, those interviews are the first time ever, right? Really cool stuff, new angles, new information, new documents, you know, for instance, with the Socorro landing case, I interviewed the family. I interviewed the wife. No one's ever done that before. With the National Archives with Ray Stanford, I got never-before-seen uh, archival material. Um, but what I mean by Road to Rua is that we, we had to build our case because I know how I felt. When I first heard about that alleged landing case at the school in Rua, Zimbabwe in 1994, I heard about it in '97. I didn't believe it. And I was already making the documentary on UFOs. So I knew what we were up against. And I knew that we had to methodically and and diligently sort of build our case almost like we're in a court of law presenting to a jury. Not that we're trying to prophesize around the world to get our audience to join our cult of believers, but, but put the real, you know, evidence in, in, in front of the audience and allow them to make up their own minds. So, I stretched it with the Close Encounters of the Third Kind as far as I was comfortable doing for now. It doesn't mean that I'm not going to explore other aspects and further productions of the phenomenon. But for, for this one, I went about as far as I felt I should.
0: Some random observations here, looking over the reviews on the site. we got one there from Christopher Lloyd. Yes, that guy. Doc Brown from Back to the Future and Bob Gale, the co-producer, I guess, writer of Back to the Future. How did that come about?
1: So we were very fortunate. One of the producers is a guy named Dan Farah. He produced Ready Player One with Steven Spielberg. It was a huge blockbuster hit a couple of years ago. And we're very lucky to get him on board. And he's been putting his reputation and pulling on his Rolodex and going all in on the phenomenon. And, and he's, it's been a very a, a, a big boon in terms of getting outreach to the mainstream. He's he's really good at it. And that's the crazy thing is, is that people, for the first time I'm seen, I know I sound like a broken record, but this is, this again, this is my fourth film on the topic. And I've never seen the level of endorsement publicly uh, in a UFO doc. The fact that I think we did a good doc, I think it's the sign of the times. I think that a lot changed after the New York Times uh, expose of the A-Tip program, um, the secret UFO Pentagon program and the likes of Senator Harry Reid coming forward, because uh, I think that added a level of credibility and legitimacy to this topic that we hadn't really seen before.
0: Now, just to quickly to before we go back to this on Rotten Tomatoes. You got 86 with the critics, which is pretty darn good, and 97 with the audience, which is better than pretty darn good because very few films garner that higher rating.
1: I'm just, you know, at this point, I'm practically a passenger. Um, I mean, I'm, you know, obviously engaging as much as I can, um, pacing myself with, uh, with, with media events and radio and podcasts and things of that nature. But I'm a passenger on this project right now myself. And I have been saying this to the, you know, to the community, it's like, of which I'm part of, is that, you know, we're all in this together. Everybody has played their part. And this film exists because of all the hard work and dedication that each and every one of us has done. Um, it's one of the reasons why I dedicated the film to Stanton Friedman. Um, you know, I tried to include as many people as I could in the credits that were involved. But people were working tirelessly behind the the scenes, making a lot of things happen. But also, again, it's the result of of all the hard work people have done for the last, you know, several decades. Um, And I'm truly grateful. And I think the film's success is is a direct reflection of all the hard work um, that people like yourselves and and, and everyone else in the community has done.
2: Well, I'd like to see it win a couple of awards. That definitely for documentary. I mean, that, that's something to celebrate. When you start getting those kind of reviews and ratings, I, that, it, that's got to make you feel good, James. So congratulations on that.
6: Oh,
1: thank you. Well, you know, again, I, I, I have to emphasize this took a village. Some people that were directly involved with it and people that were indirectly involved with it. But it really is the result and dedication of, of everybody in the UFO community for, for decades. And and the film's success is, is all of our success. It excites me, and I'm really happy that that it's getting the attention in the mainstream that it's getting. I, you know Who knows when it'll plateau? Hopefully it keeps going. Uh, one can only hope, but, but it's exciting. It's exciting to see where it's going to go.
0: Now, I want to look at some of the other people who get prominent parts of the film. Of course, Jacques Valet. Now, he was a senior advisor to the film, appears in a number of segments. And we have to remember here, Jacques is not a kid. He's like 81. And he put in, based on what you're going to be telling us in a few moments here, an incredible amount of work with you on this film.
1: He did. He did. And Lee Spiegel brought Jacques to the table and he got involved somewhat reluctantly at arm's length and, and committed to a very, very small role. And, uh, we continued to hang out, spend time together, lunches, dinners. We brought him out to the studio. We edited the movie, uh, in a tiny shack at the end of a long dirt road with no running water, no toilet, no internet. Um, it had an a extension cord a couple hundred feet long going from a main house in a garden. <laughs> and,
2: uh, <laughs> Wait a minute. I mean, this sounds like, okay, a normal, I wouldn't laugh, but actually, it I, yeah. sounds like you had to actually search out this place because, I, you know, most people would want to be, you know, close to some civilization where they have some conveniences and at least a, a toilet and an internet connection. Like, did, how, how was it that you ended up out there? Well,
1: because I was initially editing, I have a studio at my house, but it was problematic. I have a I have a young son, um, people coming and going all hours of the night. It was very disruptive to my to my family life, and my and, and my, couldn't focus. But I couldn't at the same time be too far away because I was still picking my son up son up from school and you know being a father. And so I've been in this community for decades, and everybody knows me, and I know everybody. And I thought it would be fairly easy to find an affordable, you know, place to rent, but it wasn't.
0: Let's break here and go into the story. More to come with James, Gene, and Randall. You're
2: in the Paracast.
10: You are listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com dot com today.
19: health insurance hotline today learn how this 10-minute call can help you get lower health insurance rates this is a free service to help consumers learn the laws to help them qualify for lower health insurance rates so call right now to learn more 800-670-0946 800-670-0946 call 800-670-0946 800-670-0946
9: Welcome back to the Paracast The gold standard of paranormal radio And now, here's Gene Steinberg
0: So, what kind of community do you live in? What kind of place was this that you had to end up at that location to do your editing.
1: So I put the feelers out in this little community of 2,500. And again, I grew up there, so everybody knows me and I know everybody. And I thought it was going to be fairly easy, you know, 1,200 bucks. kind of like, you know, was what I had to spend for a studio that I could rent to to edit the movie. Well, I couldn't find it. And the cheapest place I could find was like $4,500. And I just, I didn't, I couldn't do it. So I finally get someone reaches out and says, hey, I've got this old music studio. No one's been in there for about 10 years. You can clean it out, clear all the garbage, all the stuff in there. It's piled high with boxes, but it's well insulated. It doesn't have electricity, but you can run a cord for the main house. It doesn't have running water or toilet or anything, but you can bring water out there and just do your business before you show up. And I thought, well, okay, uh, why don't I just do this for now? And then when I find a better place, we'll move. But the interesting thing was we got so much magical work done because when you got out to the end of the dirt road and got into this, studio, this little studio, there was nothing else to do, no distractions. Nobody knew where you were. We just got so much incredible work done. It was magical. And so we decided, you know what, we're, we're going to stay. When we had rolling blackouts after a couple of years, uh, we were offered a place in Sausalito, which is on the north side of the Golden Gate Bridge, and we moved there for the last month. Well, the rolling blackouts. It's so funny. We were like, oh my gosh, we have a refrigerator. There's a bathroom <laughs> and running water. So you could walk outside and you could get something to eat. I mean, it was like last luxury. I mean, we couldn't believe it. We're like, it <laughs> had a heating, a heating, central heating. I was like, wow. And, and Jock is going, yeah, I only have to drive across the Golden Gate Bridge and we're right there. But but 95% of the film was edited in a shack on the, the end of a dirt road. Isn't that funny?
0: Obviously, you can't have the Domino's guy bring you pizza, can you?
1: Absolutely not. No, no, no. Uh-uh. And it was so funny. Jacques would make jokes, and he'd say, "Okay, I'm coming. I'm coming now." He had no phone connection whatsoever once he got out to my neck of the woods. So I would say jokingly, "Okay, Jacques, we're going to meet the location. You got your compass? You got your knife and your bear spray? <laughs> and you, you got your camo? You got your camo gear?" <laughs> I kid. I kid you not. Awesome.
0: Well, Doctor Jacques has really a nice, subtle sense of humor. We never see it at all. But yeah. I've had a few email exchanges with him, and it's there.
1: Oh, no, he's, he is hilarious. And, and I look, I feel so privileged. It's such an honor to work with this man, and I'm good friends with him. We were in touch all the time, and he's so happy. And he would sit at the back, and, you know, there were some areas I think he felt a little uncomfortable that we were covering, but the way we went about it. He was okay with it, and that's Roswell. And Jacques would sit in the edit row, and he'd say, just the facts, (laughs) ma'am. Just the facts.
2: Uh, Yeah, our former co-host, Christopher O'Brien, apparently made uh, an appearance out there a few times and was telling very similar stories, and he even made it onto uh, the end credits at one point there, too. So he was duly impressed, very much like you. very same comments about Valet.
1: Oh, that's so nice. You know, guys, Christopher O'Brien and I, we had just such a good time together. And he, the contributions that he made in the final, in the final months of production were, were invaluable. And he was so dedicated. And I told him, I said, look, you want to come out here? I'm, I'm, I need to, you need to understand the conditions. He goes, you don't understand what I'm used to. I live in the desert. I'm fine. Okay? <laughs> hey, I just want you to know.
2: Oh, yeah. No, we love Christopher O'Brien here. And, and we had him on uh, interviewed not, not that long ago, earlier in the year, actually. And uh, he was telling us about it. It was really quite good.
1: Oh, that's so cool. I love I love Chris. He's such a great guy. I, I consider him a very good friend now. I don't
0: think people know much about who James Fox is or how he got to where he is today. Did you start out at 15 saying, I'm going to be a
1: filmmaker? No, but my father was a mainstream journalist, Charles Fox, and he was a writer. His bread and butter was, you know, magazines, uh, automobile, car and driver, PC, Esquire. He even wrote a couple of articles for Playboy about acupuncture in the, 70, in the early 70s, but my dad was struck with multiple sclerosis at a very early age, and he lost the use of his legs and then eventually his arms. So he was a paraplegic and then eventually a quadriplegic. And I was, uh, at a very young age, I was his, his, his chauffeur, I was his secretary, I was his nurse. And we would travel around and interview the likes of you know Stephen Hawking, the, the Dan, race car driver legend Dan Gurney, and we traveled the world together. And so I had a taste of journalism at a pretty early age. Uh, probably more so than I would have been if it hadn't been for my father's condition, and that's kind of what got me into, I guess, reporting and journalism and that sort of thing. And then, of course, the advent of the video camera—you uh, know—as uh, a wonderful tool, instant playback and and to document things. And I picked one up and I never put it down. And so, and then when, <laughs> when I told my father I was going to do a documentary on UFOs. Uh, he was he was horrified. I mean, he he did everything he could in his power to stop me, and um, he even had uh, members of my family writing letters from all different corners of the world, begging me to reconsider and tell, he even said it was a dead end road and there was nothing to it, and I was going to waste my life. And when my father passed <laughs> a few years ago, I know, yeah. I know, right?
2: Yeah, oh, I got the That's same it. thing. Tried to be in the music business, cause same same lecture. Got it. Didn't oh, stop yeah, me yeah. either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: I know, yeah. and I. T- and there were moments in production of this film where I mean I was becoming the dad all the produ- other co-producers had walked with the film was dead uh, out of money out of exact I mean t- to completely out of money didn't have a bank account I mean it was like you know walk out of the stars at night and look up and pray right um to keep the whole thing alive and um but you know, I I kept I kept it alive and got new investors and I mean Jesus, I can make a movie on the making of the movie. I could honestly tell you that. And um and it was just a miracle, quite honestly. It was a miracle
2: that we got it done. But would you want your kids to get into it now? <laughs> I guess it's a very good question. I know. Or I, or are you gonna give them the same lecture, you know? My dad told me this and I'm telling you I should have listened because it's <laughs> not
1: yeah, knowing what I know, and how precarious it is, and how how risky it is, you know, uh, I wouldn't want my worst enemy to go through what I went through making this movie. To be honest, with you. and I'm not saying I'm not saying I didn't have a great time. Don't get me wrong. And I'm not saying that I I don't feel incredibly privileged, and and to have worked with the people I've done worked with, and all of the rest of it. But the level of stress and and difficulty was was immense and um and, and I, when i i think i mentioned earlier that i have ptsd and it, i'm kind of jokingly when i say that but i, I actually really do and um and i and, and it was incredibly stressful and i hope i don't ever have to go through that again how I mean, you think because it's my fourth film like on the topic fourth and a half um that it would be easier right each time you know more funding whatever but it it wasn't I, yes, I, eventually I I started off with funding and then I completely dried up. Then I got a little bit of funding and then that dried up and then I had to. And I think it was a year and a half of, of I must have written fifty letters from different to different people and met meetings and all these promises and then it would all fall
2: through and Well, this uh, you know, this really speaks to your dedication actually to to this topic and it you know what is it that keeps you going with this or has kept you going? And, um, you know, I'm sorry if I don't recall, if you've had a sighting or experience of your own that you'd like to talk about, or, or just what is it that gives you that kind of drive? Because not anybody is going to do this for as long as you have just because, Oh, I think that's interesting and I'll give it a try.
1: You know, it's funny. It it kind of goes back 26 years. And when I had, uh, When I had set out initially to do a documentary in in the mid-90s, I wanted to make this sort of seminal feature-length documentary film on the topic of UFOs. I wanted to really create something powerful and exciting and compelling and incredible.
0: We've got some exciting and compelling announcements right now. And I'm back with James Fox. With Gene and Randall, you're in
3: The Paracast. (laughs) Hello, paracast people i'm greg carlwood the host of the higher side chats podcast an uninterrupted and action-packed interview-based show where i talk to some of the brightest minds for our troubled times about all things paranormal occult esoteric and conspiratorial After ten years, we've heard it all. Alien moon bases, archons, hollow earth, technocratic and biomedical agendas, magic, mind control, and Lovecraftian monsters. Oh my. Usually the first hour of the show is free and the second hour is for members who sign up for the Higher Side Chats Plus at $8 a month. But praise be, we're giving Paracast listeners two free weeks of plus when you use the all caps coupon code PARACAST. Go to thehighersidechats.com, sign up with the code PARACAST, and dive into the nearly never-ending archive of great interviews I've been lucky enough to get over the years. From David Politis to David Icke, and many, many guests not named David. Check it out. You're going to love it. All right, Gene, was that good? Can we use that one?
9: We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com.
0: Return with us now to those thrilling days of yesterday year in the 1990s when James Fox was trying to make his first definitive UFO documentary. Why'd you pick UFOs among all the subjects available to you?
1: Well, I felt that there was a lot more to it than swamp gas and weather balloons. And I felt that this potentially was a very, very big story. And I had set my sights. You'd asked me earlier, you know, why I do what I do and why I've been so doggedly fixated on, on doing this because I, I had to back up 26 years. I set out to create the seminal feature length documentary on this topic, you know, very compelling, very credible, great cases. And I felt with each completion of each film, 50 years of denial, uh, out of the blue version one, out of the blue version two, the director's cut. uh, I know what I saw that I'd fallen short of that objective and that bothered me. And I took each mistake that I you know, I learned from and, and tried to apply that to this latest film, the phenomenon. Is it perfect? No, but it's the first time that I finished a documentary on this topic and I said, okay, I'm happy with this. I did it. I feel this is pretty good. You know, there are a couple of things that I would have liked to have made better if I had a little bit more money, but Overall, I'm very happy with the end result of this film. So I guess to answer your question, I, I felt like, I, you know, it took me 26 years to, to accomplish what I set out to do.
0: That so, takes a tremendous amount of dedication. Right. Some people say, my God. You know, but you also paint a picture here of the plight of the small filmmaker trying to put together money to get a project going and then maybe to seek some major film company or production support and the fact that any film gets made other than from a big studio is almost a miracle
2: it yeah. really it really it like really james is. you know you you probably could do a, a series of educational clips or maybe one of these you know you see these masterclass things on the internet on, on how to go about doing this because gene is absolutely right your experience in this could really be of a lot of value to some of the new up-and-coming generation of filmmakers.
1: Hey, I mean, I jokingly say this all the time. There are so many people out there that are so much smarter and so much more capable and so much more talented at what I do. I mean, there's no question about that. The one thing that I can really hang my hat on is I am incredibly tenacious. And I remember... This successful filmmaker, this editor, Walter Murch, he worked on Apocalypse Now, an English patient. He's a neighbor of mine in the small town where I live in Northern California. And one time we were at a cocktail party and he said, you know, James, he said, you got to look at life like this. You're sitting on a three legged stool on the deck of a ship in rough seas. One leg represents talent. One leg represents luck. And one leg represents tenacity. And very seldom, usually you're relying on luck. Sometimes you rely on talent. And sometimes you have to rely on tenacity. And very seldom in life, you'll have all three of those legs firmly planted on that stool on the deck of that ship. And I always remember that. It's like, you know, basically what he's saying is, look, you could be really talented, but if you don't have luck, you know, you might not go anywhere. You could be really talented. If you don't
2: have tenacity, you're not going to go anywhere. And if you're, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, How many overnight sensations have we heard about where, when you like read about their backstory? Uh, they've been working, you know, in some day job for the last 15 years while they pull their band together through, you know, 15,000 rehearsals and underground clubs and free beer to get where they got, you know. You just described the Beatles, by the way. Yeah. From their
0: young teens, they were working incredibly hard to get where they finally came. And just think about this certain carpenter who got himself some film roles by the name of Harrison Ford. He wasn't an overnight sensation. He was in his 30s before he really got that heavy-duty work.
1: Yeah, I have a good friend of mine. He's actually uh, one of the executive producers in in the film. His name's Mark Fraser and he has a small construction company and I've been working on and off with him for 20 years, 20 plus years. And uh, he's lent me money on a handshake and we've He's invested in my films, and I've always paid him back. And, you know, d- during the downtimes when I'm not making money, I've, I'll, I'll work with him, you know, painting houses or digging a ditch or whatever we do. And what I liked about it was the flexibility, and it kind of kept the bills paid. This is probably, oh, let's see. We did do a house project together, I think about maybe about two years into production of, of the phenomenon, probably when it was still kind of called 701 to keep the project alive. I, and I, People say you shouldn't put your own money into a project, but I did a pro I did a, a real estate project with my neighbor. It's, it's a long story. I won't bore you the details, but we pulled it off. It was quite, quite something, you know, put some of my own investment in, into the film. Um, and then I, you know, edit at night, work during the day, you know, that kind of thing. And then the last four, probably yeah, four years I had, you know, enough money where I didn't have to work other than just work on this film, which is great. I mean, I was really lucky to be in that situation, but um, it wasn't like I had money come in at my ears, I, uh, but I had a good budget to do a good film. You know what I mean? I could hire a couple of editors. I could, you know, travel and hire the right lighting and audio and camera guys, which makes a huge difference. You can't do all of it on your own. I mean, when I did out of the blue, I shot, edited, you know, I did the audio, the lighting, the camera work, the interviews, a lot of times all by myself.
2: You that's know, really yeah. cam- that,
1: that, but, that know, is it, really it,
2: impressive. And but I mean, that's paying your dues too. I mean, because you did that, now you know when somebody else is screwing it up, that they are and they, they're not gonna bamboozle you. You can go, No, look, I've done this, I know what I want, like we need to fix it this way. It gives you it gives you that credibility.
1: Yeah, it's also nice too because I couldn't afford to pay editors a lot of times, so I learned how to edit myself. But boy, that was, you know, and I think it's key. I think that all directors directors should know how to shoot and edit. I think it's, I'm sure they do. I'm, I'm sure the successful ones do because it's really helpful to know that, right? Because I'm, I'm thinking like when I'm doing an interview with someone as an editor too. I'm thinking and a writer. I'm already putting it together in my head how I see it, you know what I mean? Before, exactly, yeah. Before the interview is even done, you know. Well, but I mean,
2: imagine, imagine what this yeah. would have been like, though, back in the days of where you would have had to have shot everything on actual film, too. I mean, the whole oh, uh, digital revolution has really opened this up for a lot of people as well. Uh, so and, and I don't even think it, you, you know, a film like this might never have been made if it wasn't for the technology we have nowadays.
1: I totally agree. I, I totally agree. And I, you know, and and I learned how to do all that stuff and, you know, got a digital camera and got the editing software. Look, I, I shot all my own drone footage in this film because one the one time I hired a drone guy, I was like, OK, so I got this guy's got to travel with me. I got to put him up. I got to pay his food, his hotel. Like, that's expensive. I was like, I'm just going to buy a drone and figure it out
0: we got to figure this out, guys. And we got yep. more to come with James Fox, Gene, and Randall. You're in.
2: The Paracast.
10: Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today.
12: USA Radio News with Dan Narocki. She says she's a yes. Alaska Senator Lisa Murkowski announcing in a rare Saturday Senate session that she will support the confirmation of Judge Amy Coney Barrett to the Supreme Court.
10: I will vote no on the procedural votes ahead of us, but yes to confirm Judge Barrett. When the question before us is her qualification to be an associate justice on the Supreme Court.
12: Murkowski and Maine Senator Susan Collins had said they didn't believe the Senate should be taking up the confirmation process so close to the general election. A full confirmation vote on Judge Barrett is expected on Monday. Two top advisors to Vice President Mike Pence have tested positive for the coronavirus. Senior political advisor Marty Obst and Chief of Staff Mark Short both tested positive on Saturday and are in quarantine. Pence and his wife Karen tested negative on Saturday, and the vice president's office says he will maintain his schedule, even as short is considered to be a close contact with Pence. This is USA Radio News. New research from the University of Washington says that nearly 130,000 American lives could be saved if we all just wore our masks. The new data from the Institute of Health Metrics and Evaluation at the University of Washington estimates that the U.S. is on track to hit 385,000 deaths from COVID-19 by February of next year. They say that number could be cut if 95% of the population just wears masks. Epidemiologist Dr. Ali Makdad is one of the researchers working on that model. He tells CNBC that changing our behavior as we head inside for the winter will make all the difference.
2: We need to change our behaviors and give science and chi- scientists a chance to find a vaccine and a drug
19: for this uh, COVID-19 for the virus. So meanwhile, what we can do is
2: wear your masks. Watch your distance, wash your hands, basic public health and basic prevention in order to get out of it with less damage as
12: possible. This is USA Radio News. Bags under the eyes,
5: crow's feet, fine lines and wrinkles are things adults complain about as they age. Now there's Instantly Ageless. It works in minutes and is great for men and women. Here's a clip from the Rachel Ray Show testing the results of Instantly Ageless.
10: Board-certified dermatologist, Dr. Whitney Bowe. If you're looking to try to turn back the clock on a budget, you know, in the privacy of your own home, but actually there's some recent technologies emerging, almost like changes the behavior of the skin while it sits on the skin. She went off to try a product called instantly ageless yeah instantly you could see a difference even the cameraman were like wow look at the difference yeah I mean, but I would, I would definitely use this product. <laughs> this product within minutes of applying it it was actually a very dramatic rejuvenation
5: try instantly ageless today at gcnlife.com that's gcnlife.com 30-day money-back guarantee and preferred price discount at gcnlife.com that's gcnlife.com this is micah hanks of the gray alien report and you're listening to the paracast the gold standard of
0: paranormal radio i gather here with all the work you did and the ptsd was there ever a time where you felt i'm just going to call them up and have them come to take me away ha ha to the funny farm. That's that old song. You know the one I'm talking about.
1: <laughs> no, I don't, but I do know what you're talking about. <laughs>
0: okay, there is a song from the 60s that they kept bringing back called They're Coming to Take Me Away and it was a songwriter named Jerry Samuels who called himself Napoleon the Fourteenth. and he went like, remember when you ran away and I got on my D's and begged you not to leave because I'd go berserk? Well, you left me, you know, it goes like that. And then the key choruses are coming to take me away. Ha, ha, ho, ho, hee, hee. I can't say any more because then the copyright police will go after me.
7: Yeah, I'm going to come get you. <laughs> You're
0: right. And so I can't do that because I can go to the rhythm. I've heard it so many times. But did you ever think that's going to happen to me?
1: You know, what's funny is, is uh, my father used to tell me because people would say, "How Charlie, how do you write a book? How do you write a novel? He jokingly respond, he'd say one word at a time and never look up. And I always remembered those little wisdom, the gems of wisdom, because he's right. Like, Mm -hmm. if if you look up at times, you know, you're a year into a project that you know is probably going to take five, six, seven years. It can be a little overwhelming, right? You got to pace yourself and you got to chisel away and make progress every single day there were moments where I would look up and it's a bit of a shock. It's a bit of a jolt, you know, it's like, "Uh, Oh God, am I ever going to get this done? (laughs) Am I, can I pull this off? You know, and it's funny actually, because that old saying from NASA, you know, failure is not an option, but it's true. You know, it's like failure is not an option and you got to keep working at it until you get it right. People say, like, how do you make, you know, a great documentary? It's, well, it's nothing, it's not a big secret. It's just roll your sleeves up, and it just takes a lot of work. You you can't rush it. And if you do, it'll show. We had a good rough cut that the distributor was very happy with, like, eight months before the end of the film. And I was like, no, this isn't good enough. Now, this this needs a lot more work. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, it was like, are you sure this thing's great? It's going to hold everyone's attention? No, it's not. That's not great. No. You know, it wasn't ready. It wasn't ready. Yet. It wasn't ready yet. And um, in the last probably six to eight months, the push really, really made the difference to, to take that extra time, the almost better part of the year. It shows, you know what I mean? Like taking that extra time and really you know, stepping away and having, we, we had a couple of screenings and getting the feedback and, and, and listening to the audience and, and knowing, you know, you can tell when your audience starts losing attention, they're looking at their watches, they're adjusting their seats, maybe some of them will go to the bathroom, you know, you know, you want everyone to be on the edge the whole time. Anyway, so I'm rambling at this point.
0: No, that's okay. I wanted to ask you, though. Now, you mentioned that you were working on this up to the last month before release. Now, I saw a screener back in the spring, the last time you were on the PowerCast. And, of course, I saw this. Now, obviously, I'd have to compare them to know what was changed. But what did change in those few months?
1: It's so funny. No matter how many copy editors you can can have on a project, something always inevitably gets by. Uh, misspelling, none of the people, you know, the credits at the end. I mean, there were stories that came out, uh, you know, during the time that the project wasn't being released. I mean, there was a confirmation of, I think, the official release of those Navy videos uh, was in April of 2020. You know, they acknowledged them, but they officially released them, declassified and released them in 2020 of April. So we added a lot of that the latest news stuff at, right at the front. We took out a quote, replaced it with the latest New York Times revelations, the DOD. Uh, we did a call to action. We fixed lots of little, little graph, little like spelling errors and things in the credit roll at the end. Just tighten it up overall, pretty much.
2: I think that a that, uh, mention here definitely has to be said for your narrator as well. Peter Coyote, right? Coyote. Isn't he great? Coyote? Okay. Yeah, um, I wasn't sure which way there, but uh, I mean, his, he's got such a distinctive voice and he gives it that air of credibility. So I think that was a really good choice.
1: You know, he narrated two other films for me. He did Out of the Blue. He did a second version of Out of the Blue. And I did a film on the BP oil spill called Pretty Slick, and he narrated that as well.
2: Oh, interesting.
1: Um, yeah, he's such a pro.
2: Does he have a any personal interest in in UFOs at all? Did he say or
1: he he was in Spielberg's ET. He was friends with a guy who wrote a book called Friends in High Places by, we'll um, think of his name in a second, where he talked about the Clinton administration going after UFOs. So he's had a he's definitely had an interest in the topic, and he sends me articles periodically. Like, hey, what do you think of this? You know. But he's not like a hardcore, you know, UFO guy. He's got lots of other, of of other interests.
0: But a guy like that is uh, not cheap. He's been in major motion pictures for years. I mean, I've seen him in 50 films probably. And I've heard his voice everywhere. How do you get a guy like that come on a project like this without writing a huge check?
1: Well, the first time he, I met with him for Out of the Blue, I think it was like 2002 and I had borrowed, I, I told you about my neighbor, Mark fraser that uh, he's been incredibly supportive over the years. I actually borrowed 5,000 bucks from him to pay Peter and uh, for his time in the studio. And I don't know, Peter just knew, he knew this was an independent production. He knew, I, I could tell, he just knew I was, I was scrambling <laughs> to get uh-huh. the film done. And he took the check and he looked at me and he ripped it in half and he handed it back and said, you know, if you ever have a windfall, you know, keep me in mind kind of thing. And, uh, and then again, when I did, um, pretty slick, it was about the BP oil spill. Uh, he refused to take any money. And, and this time I literally said to him, you're not, you, I'm going to pay you this time. I actually have a, a little budget. I'm going to pay you. And so this time I gave him a, a pretty, a pretty sizable check for, for his time for the first time.
0: He sounds like a mensch, and that's not something you always find in Hollywood.
1: I, you know, how? Yeah, it's like he. he, How many people would you know would rip up a check for five grand? I mean, you know, he's not a he's not a very wealthy guy. I'll tell you that much. He's not like you know the guy. He had a pretty uh, acrimonious divorce. I think uh, I don't know, not that many years ago. He does not have a big flashy house. He's not doesn't drive a flashy car. He's very low key. He's he not. He does not look like a guy that has like a lot of money. Do you know what I mean? But a lot of integrity.
2: He does, and he comes across as having integrity and imparts that air of credibility to the soundtrack that I, I think is really important. And uh, thanks for sharing that about him, because uh, I mean, yeah, like Gene says, I, I mean, really, that says something about his personality that, that I think is pretty impressive.
1: Doesn't it? I know. I'm so touched by him. I actually, I wrote him a letter a couple of times and just thanking him how much I admire who he is as a person and how much I look up to him and how much wonderful, beautiful things he's done, his contribution and stuff. You know, as a side note, I'll tell you quickly, he he works with Ken Burns and he said that Ken Burns, like literally I'll have his assistant say to me, all right, well, how long is the movie? It's a two hour movie. Okay, how many pages of the merit? Okay, we need 20 minutes in the studio. I'm like, whoa, whoa, this is a two-hour movie. I mean, come on. He's like, ah, he'll he'll read it once. Well, do you want to see the script ahead of time? No, no, he's got this. And not only will Peter come in and pronounce, like, Russian names and French names and, you know,
2: stuff all over. Chinese, It's like, the guy just nailed it. That is amazing.
1: Wow. And, but he said... Ken Burns is the only guy he works with that micromanages everything out of his mouth. It's like, no, 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 no. Say it like this. Now back it up. No, you gotta put more. He says it's unbelievable. Like Ken Burns is a is, is a real stickler, according to, to Peter Coyote. Wow We've got
0: more to come with James and Gene and Randall. One more segment. You're in
2: the paracast.
0: Once again, Paracast.plus. Prices are just $1.50 a week, less than a cup of coffee at your local convenience store. Check out Paracast.plus to learn more about Paracast Plus.
20: Extendovite really works. Here are some reviews from Amazon.com. Amazon customer, five out of five stars. I'm quite happy about it. This product has relieved what appears to be an angina problem, pain in the chest after climbing stairs, and short on breath. I'm quite happy about it. Dr. Sam Surreal. Good product and ingredients. Kept my blood pressure normal after mild heart attack in 2015. Switched to plant-based diet, also to reverse atherosclerosis. John Bispico's. 5 out of 5 stars. Built up my immune system. To order, call 1-877-928-8822. That's 1-877-928-8822. Or visit our website at heartdrop.com.
1: Extend your life with
20: Tea Club's original Pure Pau de Arco Super Tea helps build the red corpuscles in the blood which carry oxygen to our organs and cells. Our organs and cells need oxygen to regenerate themselves. The immune system needs oxygen to develop and cancer dies in oxygen. So, the tea is great for healthy people, and it can truly be miraculous for someone fighting a potentially life threatening disease due to an infection, diabetes, or cancer. A one pound package of tea is $34.95 plus shipping. To order, please visit shopsupertea.com. That's shop, S H O P, super, S U P E R T T E A dot com. So, the complete website is shopsupertea.com or call us at 818 984. Four six one zero zero Monday through Saturday, 9 to 5, California time. Then shop supertea.com at 818-984-6100.
8: This is me, the Merciless. You are
11: listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. Exactly according to my
0: Speaking of Peter Coyote, I looked on October 10th. He was 79. He
1: is not. Are you
0: serious? Here he is right here. Peter Coyote, born in Manhattan, just like my father was. He was born in Manhattan. It says here he was born October 10th, 1941.
1: You're kidding me. I never lie. He's Jacques', He's Jacques age. I had no idea. He looks great. He looks.
0: Well, Jacques great. is 81. Peter Coyote has been married three times. And if you add up the cost of every one of those marriages. And by the way, yeah. one more thing from the movie database before we get on. You know how much money he received for his role
2: in E.T.? $28,000. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm looking at the what? same page as Eugene. Sorry, I couldn't resist because I, I was sitting here looking at
1: it. <laughs> he. So he turned 79 in October, is what you're saying?
0: October 10th. Now, talking about money, just one fast thing before we go back with this in our final segment. Dr. J. Allen Hynek, a technical advisor for Close Encounters of the Third Kind. He appeared in that famous scene towards the end with a bemused look on his face. And you know how different he was in the guy who played him in that TV show Project Blue Book. He got $3,500 for that.
1: You know, I remember. I think I spoke to Jacques about this. How disappointed, because that movie made so many millions of dollars, and how disappointed Dr. Heineck was that his his foundation, Kufos, at the time was struggling, and he made a signi- fairly significant contribution to that uh, that film. And and I think Jacques had said that. I don't know if Heineck asked or if Spielberg volunteered to to make a contribution and he was hoping to get, you know, a contribution. And it was like this kittens of a contribution And I know that according, I believe it was Jacques that told me this, that he was was pretty disappointed.
0: Even worse, we had the author of this book about Dr. Heineck, this biography. And he told us that he was never contacted by the producers. He heard about the film, and he contacted them and asked if he could be of help. And then they made him the advisor, and they gave him this token little cameo. So, all things being equal, had he not heard about the film, this would have gone on, and he would have gotten nothing. That's
1: Hollywood wow. for you. Yeah, it really is, isn't it? Jesus, yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> And it would have been no skin off his nose to to, to write, you know, Dr. Heineke, a, a sizable. I mean, look at the work that Heineke was doing on his own. A couple About. of
0: million at Le- least. Give the guy chump change. A couple of million from Steven Spielberg. It's like me. Next time we meet at some convention somewhere, I give you a
2: quarter. Yeah, exactly. Literally, right? I know. Yeah. Or even a small percentage no, of a royalty or something, you know. Just, you know yeah, but you have to realize something. something here.
0: With Hollywood... A percentage always has to be of the gross, not the net, because there is never a net profit. No film ever makes a net profit. So if you make that deal, you get nothing.
17: Yeah, I mean,
1: yeah, it's remarkable, but it is quite remarkable.
0: Okay, the film is out. We hope it's going to have a good long life and it's going to add up those dollar bills into your bank account going forward. What's your next project, or you're going to the rest home now?
1: (laughs) Oh, man. You know, once you get a film completed, they say you're only halfway there, which is kind of true. You know, you've got deliverables. That was a monumental task. You've got air and emissions insurance. Then you've got promotions. You've got all the organizing, structuring, all the print and copy it's quite a task. I mean, it's, it's, it's a very time consuming task. So at some point when I can take a couple of months and not think about the film at all and think about my next move and take some time and enjoy it with my family and just, just a couple of months, that's when I'll really be able to kind of evaluate exactly what my next move is but it, my next move is it, it most definitely going to be a, a miniseries
0: will uh, it be about yeah. ufos though the miniseries
1: yeah because there's so much content i mean like give you an example i mean i went to south america four times to investigate the virginia case in 1996 it's sort of sure. the roswell of brazil and uh tracked down a lot of the witnesses and um, primarily i worked really hard on that case and not one second of it ended up in the movie Beautifully shot from the same cloth, from as uh, the phenomenon. Same photographer, same audio. Beautiful, beautiful stuff. You know, that's one example. I mean, I went back and forth to Socorro for over a five-year period. Got to know the family. I Got to know Lonnie's wife, Mary. Unfortunately, she passed. He uh, got her on camera, his co-workers, the local sheriff. Very little of that ended up in the film. I could do a whole hour on Socorro. I mean, the metal stuff alone. So yeah, I mean the metal stuff that Jock and and Gary Nolan are doing at the lab in Silicon Valley, that's fascinating. I mean, my God, I, I'm not I'm no scientist, but, but I knew I was in the I was witnessing something big that was happening. We could I'd love to do an hour on that. Love to really stick our teeth into what they know. Um. So yeah, there's there's lots of material out there, and I, and I also think something I'm very encouraged by. I don't know if you guys saw this or not. But Lou Elizondo, who's the director of ATIP, publicly endorsed our film on Twitter, saying that everything was accurate and true, and there were things in the film that were said that he couldn't. Um, and there's been indication from from him that a willingness to uh, to work with us and, and other people that are still involved in like program. So I think there will be more progress made on, on further discoveries and, and evidence as well as some of the more historical stuff that didn't make it in in this film.
0: We look forward to seeing that one final question before we close it out, James. And that is, do you think something's going to happen in terms of information about UFOs of any significance after the election, after a president is inaugurated, whichever one it might be?
1: I do. Yes, I do. And I don't just say that. As as an optimist, I'm saying that from information that I'm getting, that's going on behind the scenes. There's an evaluation I think that's being done that's going to be apparently made public. It's in the works, sort of an assessment of of what they know. Um, obviously, it won't be everything they know, but uh, that's in the works and that's imminent. Yes, I do think there's going to be further. And look, we're gonna we're gonna really continue putting the pressure on with this bill. And uh, this is not. It's just a quick. Flash in the pan, this is, a, this is going to be a marathon for us. We'll be pushing this uh, further government transparency and, and pushing this film hard uh, for the next 7, 12 months.
7: Hey,
0: if someone wants to learn more about the film, is there a website set up for it?
1: Yes. So it's available in uh, 12 languages around the world, and all the different links are at film. Dot com the phenomenon film.com and if you want to buy the film I think it's I don't know twelve to 14 dollars now be sure that you buy it from either iTunes or Vimeo because at the same price you get three hours of bonus material
0: we can be found by the way on Twitter if you look for the powercast you can also find us. On Facebook, if you look for a pair of official Paracast communities and such, we have branded merchandise for the Paracast. Under Randall's busy updating that. The pillows and the shirts, really good stuff available in all sizes from little people, from mini me to Jaws, you know, the guy who played Jaws. We give you all sorts of sizes there. Low prices, go to the Paracast.shop. That's the Paracast.shop. We have the Paracast Plus, where we offer a version of this show free of the network ads, enhanced audio. So James Fox sounds even better, and I sound the same. For some reason, I never change. But we also have the After the Paracast podcast, where we have extra interviews and discussions. You never know what's going to happen next. This weekend, for example, James Fox will continue his discussion about the phenomenon and other stuff. And for five-year and lifetime subscriptions, we've just got a few of these. We have coupon codes from Vimeo for the phenomenon for a five-year or lifetime subscription. For more information, please check out the Paracast.plus, the plus. James Fox, thank you for joining us on the show.
1: Well, gentlemen, I had a great time. Thank you for having me.